The Sports Gambling Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast are presented to you by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Gambling Podcast. Props, parlays, in-game wagering, MyBookie.ag has it all. And if you sign up using the promo code SGP50, you'll receive a 50% deposit bonus today. You play, you win, and you get paid at MyBookie.ag. We're also brought to you by FanVest. FanVest is a digital exchange that lets you invest in and trade sports teams like stocks. FanVest is launching a free March Madness portfolio Portfolio challenge with a $5,000 cash prize for the winning portfolio. Sign up for free at fanvestwageringexchange.com to instantly receive $1,000 in fan bucks points today. Finally, the hashtag SGP10K free roll challenge. The Sports Gambling Podcast is trying to give away $1,000 in their quest for 10,000 Twitter followers. And if at Gambling Podcast gets to 10,000 before the NCAA tournament is over, they will give away $1,000 to one lucky random follower. All you have to do is enter and include in the tweet hashtag SGP10K and tag at Gambling Podcast in the tweet. Unlimited entries. And the more times you do it, the more chances you have to win. Welcome into the Inside Vegas podcast, March Madness in the rearview mirror, at least March is, Final Four still upcoming, and now that Colby is handling all that, Ryan and Sean doing the March Madness side of things, we're moving forward with the daily grind of Major League Baseball, how to attack it, how to handicap it, things to look for uh, throughout the whole 2019 Major League Baseball season with one week in the rearview mirror. Guest for this segment, Adam Burke at Skating Tripods, host of Bang the Book Radio, uh, hosts a podcast twice a week inside the batter's box on Bang the Book. Uh, hosting everything somewhere in the space at some time. Just got off his little media tour in Vegas, promoting Major League Baseball for the site and everything like that. Also author of the 2019 MLB betting guide available on Amazon. Go ahead and just search for Adam Burke if you want to check that out. One of the most uh, knowledgeable baseball minds I have come across in a very long time. Been doing this forever. Um, And so we dig into what we have seen for the first week of Major League Baseball, if it's worth reacting to, overreacting, all that type of stuff. Uh, And then we break down kind of the philosophy behind it and how he has found um, his most success, as well as digging into the 2019 season as a whole, based on what we've seen, division breakdowns, team-by-team stuff, and everything and everything. One of uh, what I believe is a great interview to go towards um, your 2019 Major League handicapping season, just because you got two more times to to bet NCAA uh, basketball. Don't forget about Major League Baseball. The market is here, and it will be the only show in town for a little bit coming up within the year. So, hope you guys enjoy it. This is Adam Burke of Bang the Book Radio and myself talking 2019 Major League Baseball. Joining me on the Inside Vegas podcast on the Sports Gaming Podcast Network is somebody who shares my love and passion for baseball. We've done so much stuff together uh, in a very short amount of time, it it seems like. Um, The host of Bang the Book Radio, Adam Burke, at Skating Tripods on Twitter, one of the best Twitter handles out there. How is everything in your world? My friend, baseball is back. The Indians can't hit. Tell me all your thoughts and feelings about the baseball season. Yeah, it's good, man. It's good to have it back. I'm off to a little bit of a slow start here this year, but uh, you know what? It's it's a long season. It's obviously a big time grind. And uh, yes, you are correct. The Indians cannot hit. <laughs> and when again, kind of flipping the script a little bit here, me and Adam do a couple things um, over on Bang the Book. So as always, check that out. 
bangthebook.com slash podcast, bangthebookradio, and again, at bangthebook on Twitter as well. Um, so I guess, I mean, man, you, you, you're such a, a consummate professional, consummate host that I feel like maybe you haven't had the time to kind of tell your side of things in your story. And so I want to kind of start there and kind of what led you to, you know, get to this position. I know you're kind of making the press rounds when it comes to baseball in Las Vegas last week, um, but kind of, you know, what was your background and intro that kind of led you to this position and kind of led you to, you know, focus in on baseball and, and this content distribution platform that you're on? I was definitely a lover of baseball before I got into the position that I'm in now. And, you know, about uh, 12 years ago or so, I would say it's kind of funny that I sort of fell into sabermetrics at the same time I fell into sports gambling. Uh, my college roommate and my sophomore year had a Bodog account like everybody else did. Uh, he kind of got me into it and you know, it sort of went from there. I mean, it went from uh, the $5 three line parlays to, you know, just learning more about the industry, getting more involved with it. Uh, then I think it was 2011. I actually did a college football podcast for a website called Beyond the Bets, uh, which is now part of uh, Right Angle Sports with the Betting Talk website. And that was with Matt Lindeman, who I'm sure everybody out there in Vegas knows, uh, you know, an odds maker over at Caesars. But we were doing that college football podcast together, and we actually had to stop doing it because he wound up getting a job in a sports book. And, uh, you know, my current boss over at Bang the Book reached out to me out of the blue and said, hey, you want to do something like that for me? And uh, you know, it's been something we've done now since 2013. So always been evolving as a handicapper, always been evolving as a baseball fan and, you know, obviously picking up the other markets as I've gone along. So it's been a, uh, it's been a good decade here being in this business. What kind of drove you to, um, I don't say, I don't think you pick what you love in terms of sports, but what made you kind of more drawn towards focusing on baseball betting? Because I think a lot of people, you know, you can love one sport, but that doesn't mean that you can, you know, bet it or even if you want to or have success at it. But what were kind of the things about the game and how you approach baseball that have made it kind of your kind of, I don't want to say niche market because one of the biggest in the world, but made it your main focus? Well, it was one of those things as a kid where, you know, baseball just came naturally to being my favorite sport. My dad did play hockey in high school and, and I wound up playing hockey in high school too. But growing up in Cleveland with the Indians heyday and in, in the mid to late nineties and, you know, the Browns were gone. So baseball was just, you know, the easiest thing to gravitate towards. And then, you know, like I said about, you know, Oh five, Oh six, Oh seven, I kind of got into sabermetrics because I wanted to understand why the Indians were making the decisions that they were making, why they were isolating the guys that they were isolating when they had, you know, limited financial resources. So I got into sabermetrics at that point. And then, you know, as I started looking more at these sports betting markets, I felt like that was an edge for me to know sabermetrics, to know some of the regression analysis stuff and be able to take a different look at baseball as opposed to the other sports that were out there. So it just kind of all fell together naturally where, you know, I had this background in the stats of baseball and it was easy to then apply that to the handicapping of baseball. And, you know, it's a sport where I feel like I have my greatest edge because of how I study the game. You know, a lot of other sports, I don't do as much with the advanced analytics. It's a lot of situational handicapping, matchup based analysis, stuff like that. With baseball, I feel like I can go a little bit deeper and you know, feel like I have a little bit more of an edge in that market. So it really just made sense for me. I'm so fascinated by numbers, guys, because truthfully, uh, I'm probably not that smart to be able to do that, you know, to create a model and go the Excel route. And I do believe that that is kind of, uh, I don't want to say the future, but I mean, that is, we've seen time and time again, the success that those type of handicappers have had. My biggest issue is even with a sport like baseball that has been so driven towards the sabermetrics, I mean, the sabermetrics came along, um, which were both, you know, uh, predictive in terms of success, regression, positive regression, all that type of stuff. Uh, and then it got applied to the sports gambling market. Market. Um, for me, I still am in love with the human element of baseball. And not only has the human element kind of been taken out of the game uh, from a 
literal gameplay perspective and managerial decisions and all that type of stuff where people are playing, you know, shifts, outfield situations, whatever the case may be. I think it's also made its way in a very short amount of time over to uh, the sports gambling world. Uh, is there, you know, my biggest issue with, not say issue, but my biggest reasoning that I can't go all in on the numbers side of things is it really takes out the uh, human aspect of it. Now, don't get that confused with what I would call emotional betting and betting because of fandom or a gut feeling or whatever the case may be. Those are very different things. What do you say, or, you know, what do you... Uh, my, my question to uh, model handicappers is always the same. What do you do when your model or numbers tell you one thing, but your eyes or gut or feeling tells you another? Well, I, I do want to make this clear that I'm not a modeling guy. I don't my own lines. I don't spit out, you know, any, any sort of things like that. I just use the statistics, uh, both in a regression sense, but also in a matchup sense. And, you know, I, I'm sort of kind of a hybrid, I would say from you know, there are some people who are strictly on the quant side of things. There are other people who are maybe trends based or, you know, whatever the case may be. A lot of people that fall in the middle. And, and I think you and I both fall in the middle in a lot of different ways in that you're familiar with the numbers. You don't treat them as gospel like some people do. And that's something I feel like I've done a better job of here recently is, you know, two or three years ago, or actually more like three or four years ago, I would look at an ERA and an XFIP and say, okay, that guy's absolutely going to get better. His ERA is five. His XFIP is 350. I'm going to keep betting on him. And that's what a lot of people yes. in the modeling crowd. That's what a lot of people in the modeling crowd wound up doing. They you know, bet three baseball or four years backwards. Ago. Yes. They right. would, and, and they would take four losses to pound their chest on their random shutout of the fifth, go one and four and say, I told you positive regression was coming instead of betting, instead of just rolling with that pitcher or, you know, backing or, um, betting on through a rough stretch, regardless of saber metrics. And then once the regression comes either side, you jump off in my opinion. Right. Right. And, and and the thing of it is, honestly, I think the, the most eye-opening thing for me was when Darren Willman put StatCast on his baseball savant page, because then you were able to look at things like the exit velocity metrics and say, okay, you know, look in, in the past, we would have said this guy with the five ERA or the, yeah, the five ERA and the 350 XFIP, he's absolutely going to get better, but maybe he's not. Maybe he just doesn't have the right command profile. Maybe he's allowing way too much hard contact for him to actually get that much better. So I've kind of become more of a gray area handicapper as opposed to the black and white handicappers that are out there that are strictly looking at the numbers, strictly saying this is going to get better. I'm kind of in the middle where you look at somebody like Kyle Freeland, for example, everybody wants to run to fade Kyle Freeland. Well, Kyle Freeland has a low ERA and a high XFIP for a lot of different reasons. One of them being he induces a lot of weak contact. If you're not giving up barrels, if you're not giving up high velocity contact. You can still have a lot of success. So I think there are a lot of people that, that haven't really grasped that concept fully that, you know, it's not all black and white. There is a lot of gray. There are you know, different team defenses, different park factors, all that type of stuff. So I think that because of the way that I evaluate baseball and how deeply I throw myself into it, you know, it's one of those things where I do feel like I should be the best sport that I have. And real quickly, without going too long here, as you mentioned, you know, the game is so numbers driven now. And in fact, I've kind of found that out. And some days I'll kind of sit there and go, you know what? I wish I was more of a fan. I, I wish I looked more at the individual players, you know, uh, realized what we've got here in this current era of baseball with so many stars. A lot of times these guys just look like numbers to me. And to some degree, that's kind of disappointing, but to another degree with my line of work, it's good not to have any of those, uh, not, not to have too many of those biases. 
love that you brought up Kyle Freeland because I think that it's a perfect jumping off point for us to talk to or at least illustrate the point um, of why you need to blend these together. Kyle Freeland is an, an anomaly for anyone that doesn't know, know him out there. He has a better uh, ERA, better pitching metrics at Coors Field, which is generally the hardest place to pitch in the world due to the altitude. Here's the thing when you look at the human side of when dig into why that is, Kyle Freeland was born and raised in Colorado. He pitched his whole life there and learned to make it work for his game. He tailored his game to Colorado, not the other way around of kind of, you know, letting it dictate, you know, how you go about things. So it's, you know, that's exactly the the point of how you need to dig into the human aspect to be predictive, um, you know, and to get out ahead of that market. So it, absolutely. And again, you know, speaking of how deep you go into this, I want to talk about uh, your book on Amazon that is absolutely incredible. 2019 MLB betting season uh, preview that you did. What kind of led you to want to, you know, take that journey into, I can't imagine that is anything of an easy feat to, to put together a full uh, Kindle book on Amazon, you know, detailing the, you know, upcoming season to, you know, put yourself out there and everything like that. What kind of led you to um, go about doing that? Well, it was one of those things in the infancy of my time with bang the book. I think the first year I actually put together these season previews was about 2014. And the last two years we've actually made it into a Kindle ebook uh, for some marketing purposes, you know, trying to reach out to a different audience, but also, you know, to uh, kind of have a byline out there, which is, you know, something that uh, is, is very important to me and something that you know, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to have. But I look at all 30 teams. You know, I, I look for telltale signs for their season win total market. I highlight individual players that you want to keep an eye on. And also I tackle all the future stuff as well. All six divisions, both pennants, World Series, Cy Young in both leagues, MVP in both leagues, the home run king. Uh, I talked about some of the stats that I use to handicap. You know, and, and really it's twofold. I mean, I think that it helps my readers to have all that information, but also it's a good way for me to organize my thoughts, you know, because that transition from football into basketball, into baseball, all these sports overlap now. And it's a giant pain in the ass. If you cover all of them, the way that I do and the way that we do at bang the book. So it helps put me in that baseball mindset. It helps me find maybe some things that I had overlooked from last season that I find in my research for the upcoming season. Uh, you know, it's it's a labor of love. And, and that's the big thing is that it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like I'm preparing for the season and just so happen to be able to share it with a lot of other people. I love that, man. Being able to organize, you know, a, a whole season of baseball over, you know, that grind is is so important. And I think people kind of get bogged down into, you know, I don't think people often are able to gather their gate, their data and their thoughts the right way. And it makes so much sense for, on so many different levels to do it this way in some form of fashion, because as much as it may help somebody that is just getting into betting, casual betting, it also helps the person creating this content, organize ideas, you know, look into things that are, you know, put it all in one place as you go through the season. So it, it's definitely um, a win-win again, that is available on Amazon. Just go there and, and search Adam Burke. That will, that will come right up. I want to make well, that. Christian, let, me, let me mention something else real quickly here that you know, you know this. I mean, you're a professional better. Efficiency and organization are so important in this line of work. And, you know, for me, I organize by writing. For other people, maybe they've got, you know, extensive spreadsheets or, or whatever it is that they have. But people always ask me, they're like, you know, how can I get to a point where I can take this more seriously? How can I turn this from a hobby into a supplement or a supplement into maybe a profession down the line? And I think organization and efficiency are two of the most important attributes you can have as a handicapper because you're not wasting time. You know exactly where your thoughts are. You know what you want to do. And it's going to lead to a certain level of confidence as well. And, you know, when you bet, and, and especially if you're somebody who, you know, moves good sums of money out there, 
you've got to do it with confidence. And, and to me, I think the best way to do it with confidence is to have those thoughts organized and be prepared. So that's something that, that I feel like really helps me and something that I think is is worth mentioning to everybody that's out there that if you want to take this seriously, being organized, setting up a foundation is really important. Yeah. And again, if you're somebody out there who maybe feels like you're embarrassed, you don't have a following, you don't, you know, you're, why am I going to sit here and do this? If nobody's going to going to read it, I'm telling you, it will help you out. So it will help you out personally. Do it, write yourself a book, write yourself a season preview betting guide, uh, and don't share it. If, if that's the case, because you, it's something you can refer to. It's something that will have, you know, a running living document, uh, for you to kind of, ref you can update it as the season goes. And that's, you know, something that I can't, you know, came into and found a, a very early at a very early time in my betting career that you have to, you know, I have this, I was say Bible, but you know, every buy and sell, you know, whatever the case may be on, on how I make that up. And it's updated every single day for the past three years and broken down by season and everything like that. So if you're somebody out there that maybe doesn't even want to create content and you're just looking to get yourself more organized, I couldn't recommend that route anymore. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely one of those things again, where it may be hard at the outset, but it's going to help you so much. It's going to help you exponentially down the line. So again, you have to, it's kind of like people saying you have to spend money to make money. You got to spend time with this business. And I think that's something that's a really important takeaway here. Well, you, uh, you put on your host hat and you gave me the perfect transition because philosophically, we kind of talked about, you know, one thing to help casual bettors uh, before the season or, or a big picture. Uh, what do you know, somebody that is maybe getting into baseball for the first time or they're just a casual better? Um, what are kind of some things that you would point out to casual betters as places to start, whether it be, you know, sabermetrics or, or whatever the case may be on kind of how they can kind of up their game and, and at least from the research perspective, start there and kind of take next steps in their baseball handicapping. I think you want to know where to look. You know, I think that you want to know where to get information. And, and I understand sabermetrics can be very difficult. There are a lot of acronyms. There are a lot of hard concepts to understand. I do think that that's one thing I do really well on my MLB betting podcast, the betters box every Monday and Thursday of explaining what these things mean in lay terms. Because a lot of times the thing about sabermetrics is that they quantify what the eyes can already see. You know, you watch an outfielder and go, man, that guy's terrible. Sabermetrics are going to tell you how bad that guy is. If you say, you know, oh, that pitcher gives up a lot of hard contact, sabermetrics will not only prove that point for you, but also quantify how much that hard contact hurts. So you, know, you want to know where to look for information. Fangraphs is a phenomenal website, obviously. Uh, you know, baseball prospectus is a little bit more, a lot more advanced, actually. Baseball reference, baseball-reference.com, very, very good. Baseballsavant.com is where you can find all that exit velocity. You know, just start to do some of your own research. You know, it doesn't have to be as detailed as knowing inside and out what FIP and XFIP mean or what Sierra means or something like that. Just look for, you know, uh, basic starting points on games, narrow down the card, narrow down some of these pitchers that you're interested in, and then go from there. Because I think a lot of people get worried about the fact that baseball is a money line sport. You know, everyone's used to, uh, you know, the, the Browns minus three against the Steelers. Well, baseball is obviously different as a money line sport, and it can be daunting to see that you have to lay $200 to win $100, or you have to lay $150 to win $100. So you, know, you want to really start to narrow down the card by looking at the teams that are involved, the starting pitchers that are involved, uh, understand what the bullpens look like. A lot of it is familiarity, you know, knowing who these guys are, having an idea of what to expect, then taking that next step and, and digging in to the matchup, to the statistics, stuff like that. 
How much emphasis would you, you know, do you place everything on a pitcher and, and weigh it a lot more heavily than I do? Do you, you know, place an emphasis on, you know, team offense or kind of where is the place to start sabermetrics aside in terms of, you know, position by position? I think a lot of people look at quarterbacks and, and they, they again, put it against the spread. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers are worth six points. Um, you know, again, with a money line sport like baseball, it's a little bit different. But are there specific positions? Um, again, I, I kind of know where I think you're going to go with this in terms of pitcher, but, you know, we're liking that to a quarterback or a star player. Um, but is there anything, you know, that you put more stock in than the others in terms of positional values or player values? I mean, I think obviously, you know, you have to start with the starting pitchers, even those starting pitchers are decreasing in importance, you know, fewer innings pitched the last two years than any other season dating back to 1996. You know, the bullpens are a lot more important, but the starting pitchers are, are tremendously important still, because really that's how the lines are constructed. That's how the lines are made with the starting pitchers in mind, because you don't know what's going to happen in the late innings. And, and this is why I know you're a first five guy. I certainly can't blame you for that one bit. Uh, but, you know, you don't necessarily know who's going to be deployed out of the bullpen. You don't know if that guy's going to be on that day or not, because bullpens, relief pitchers, most volatile positions in Major League Baseball. But you have to begin with the starters, because when you look at how things go in Major League Baseball here, even just after the third or even after the third inning at the start of the fourth inning last year, teams with the lead won 74 percent of the time. So you have to like that starter, like that matchup because you want your team to play from ahead if you're betting the full game, because then you hope that the best relievers are going to come in and close out the game for you. If you think that the starter is going to struggle, well, then at that point, you start looking at the other side. If it's a bad matchup for that starter, you know, maybe a team that hits a lot of fly balls against a fly ball pitcher with a home run problem, that's probably a bad matchup for that guy. So along with the stats, I sort of, because I know a lot of the personnel, I'll know what's a good matchup and what's a bad matchup. Some teams don't hit power pitchers. Some teams are pretty good against power pitchers. Stuff like that is the primary starting point for me, because again, you know, you want to be in a position where your team has the lead as quickly as possible. Do you put more stock or even look too short when we talk about marquee players? I mean, Bryce Harper, I'm talking about Machado, Mike Trout. Is there a sense that maybe they can be overvalued to a spread or I'm sorry, not a spread of the way in football, but, you know, overvalued to a money line and what they account for um, being as they basically, I mean, they don't have the game in their hands the way that a pitcher does and marquee pitchers aside, uh, you know, the the brilliant ones of the world, the Scherzers, the, the Sales um, and Klubers and, and on down through the line. When we talk about marquee position players, um, is there, you know, anything that you maybe look to, you know, even hope that they're out, that you get an even bigger discount, or is it just one of those things that you, you take what is given, um, and hope they come through if you're on that side? Yeah. I mean, there are certain advantages you can look to get, you know, I I'll use Josh Hader as an example. I mean, he's not a position player. So uh, this is kind of dodging your question a little bit for a second, but you know, I know when Josh Hader is available, when Josh Hader is not available, when he's not available, I'm very unlikely to play Milwaukee for a full game. Maybe I'll play a first five but I probably won't play a full game. You know, you talk about uh, day games after night games, you know, that catcher is probably not going to play. If he's a great framer or a very good offensive catcher, you've got to keep that in mind with your handicap, even before the lineups come out. Now, when it comes to star players, I mean, you know, there are a few different ways you can look at it. You can kind of look at it in terms of, um, you know, like how you would defend Murray state in college basketball. John Morant's going to get his it's everybody else that you want to get. So sometimes you can look at it in that regard and say, well, that star player is going to get his. Will they shut down everybody else? That's the key question that I have. The other thing is that because of the timing of my daily article and because of, you know, when I try to get my handicapping done, 
I'm doing this before the lineups come out. So there will be lineup or there will be line moves, obviously, when, you know, Paul Goldschmidt's not out there, when Jose Ramirez isn't out there, stuff like that. To me, I don't necessarily worry about it too much because, you know, my goal is basically looking at starters that will limit base runners as much as possible. If you've got a starter who's only going to allow, you know, maybe six or seven base runners, not a lot of them are going to score. If you've got a guy that's going to allow 10 or 12 base runners, well, then it gets a little bit more dicey. Even with those star players that are in the lineup, you know, I'm just looking for uh, situations where I can limit the number of run scoring chances against me. And if that guy hits a three run homer, he's a great player. It is what it is. But again, I try to look for spots where, you know, the pitcher is going to limit the number of opportunities the other team has to score runs, whether there's a big name marquee guy in the lineup or not. I want to like I want to uh, come back around to what we talked about about money lines before we kind of break into the 2019 season, both of what has happened the first week and and our kind of outlook projecting forward. Does it make sense? I think a lot of people fall into the trap of uh, parlaying every ace day, every fifth day. If you see a Kluber, you see a sale, you see minus 300, minus 300. Uh, parlay away is you know the the public's general motto here. We saw this on opening day with New York and Boston. Um, is are you somebody who tends to you know have a a hard rule of never betting heavy favorites because baseball is variance driven? Again, 43 percent of the time underdogs win in major league baseball it is the highest underdog rate of success in any pro in any professional sport on the planet ufc being second is there you know when you look down the board just for today i mean yankees minus 225 have consistently been you know in the you know, over two dollar favorite range yet you see baltimore come out and win plus 275 plus 300 taking two out of three baseball is so variance driven um what would you tell people that are kind of looking into the heavy heavy favorite side of things when it comes to major league baseball or are you more of an underdog player or do you think that heavy favorites um you know kind of get theirs too as a general rule i'm trying to look for small favorites and small dogs you know i'm trying to limit variance a little bit that way in the sense that if the line suggests that the game is something of a coin flip something like that you know i feel like those are the games where i have the best edge because of the way that i study baseball and the way that i can sort of dig into the game and, and find hidden, little hidden edges and, and some surplus values on starting pitchers, bullpen guys, stuff like that. But, you know, I will say it, and this has been a point that I've kind of talked about a little bit uh, on my show here before, you know, if you look over the last four or five years, because major league baseball is so top heavy, big favorites have actually been pretty good bets overall. I mean, last year, 73.6, this is per uh, the killer sports database, killersports.com. A lot of really cool queries you can run over there. But in 2018, 436 and 156 on favorites minus 181 or higher. Average line of minus 229-ish. $100 betters were up $9,000 based on the numbers that were over at the Killer Sports Database. If you look at minus 200 or higher favorites last year, 75.7%. $100 betters up over eight grand. So those are using closing lines, and I believe they grade against five dimes over there. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what they do at Killer Sports. So, you know, using that, using the recent history, it has been profitable to take some of those big favorites, largely because, as I just mentioned, the game's been so top heavy. I mean, you've got, you know, the AL playoffs are, are mostly decided. You've got maybe six teams, six or seven teams that can make the playoffs. It's a little bit different in the National League this year. Uh, so you won't see as many big money line favorites, but they have been profitable. Obviously, the thing is, you want to try and avoid the 25 to 27% that those teams go down. So, you know, again, you still go through the handicapping process. I'm not advocating blindly betting big favorites by any means, but you know, it does seem like, uh, at least in recent memory, you know, the bigger favorites have done pretty well. 
I love it, man. And if you are going to bet a big favorite, go on over to mybookie.ag, the official online sportsbook of the Inside Vegas podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. We only recommend services that have been good to us. And with mybookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. Use promo code SGP50 for a 50% deposit bonus up to $3,000 today. We're also brought to you by Playbalto. Sports Gaming Podcast Network is partnered up with Playbalto.com for our March Madness Bracket Challenge. Go and see where all your favorite pros are, how their bracket is doing on Playbalto.com. We're also brought to you by FanVest. FanVest is a wagering exchange that will be like the stock market for sports. FanVest is letting you invest in sports teams to trade and sell like stocks to monetize your sports knowledge without losing your wallet. FanVest replaces complicated odds with intuitive tradable sports teams whose values are determined by the marketplace. FanVest is launching their free-to-play on March Madness with a $5,000 cash prize. Go to fanvestwageringexchange.com and receive $1,000 fan bucks. All right, man. So let's flip this over. I think philosophy, betting stuff aside um, for the 2019 season. As we look at this, I think again, when we, I don't want to overreact to anything that has happened already. I think that that's kind of the biggest problem um, that, you know, or I don't want to say professional, but anyone has when it comes to baseball is if this three, if this four or five, six day stretch was in the middle of July, nobody would uh, bat an eye. But because this is, you know, you look down and you see a team who's one in four uh, who repeated or who won the World Series last year, I think people tend to panic. Um, baseball is the biggest grind, the biggest long-term market that there is. And, and that's kind of my, always been my betting philosophy on how I attack it. Um, but let's just kind of start with the American league in terms of anything that you've seen that is incredibly surprising to you. Um, we'll start in the AL East. I mean, Tampa four and one Baltimore three and one Yankees two and two Toronto two and three and the Red Sox at one and four. Um, again, not that I want you to sit here and, and overreact and tell tell me the Rays are going to win and the, and the Orioles are going to be uh, incredible. Um, is that something that you completely disregard knowing that these standings are not going to look like anything and you just attribute it to slow starts variants that could be placed at any given point in the season, nobody would care. Or do you, uh, kind of put stock into it? No, I mean, to a degree, I put stock into it. You know, one of the things I'm really looking at here so far is, is usage changes for pitchers. And, and we'll talk about Jose Barrios here in a minute. Uh, but you know, I look for guys that are actively making changes that, it may take the markets a little bit of time to catch up to some guys, you know, uh, throwing more breaking balls, which is going to lead to weaker contact, which is going to lead to more strikeouts may lead to more walks as well against, you know, more patient lineups. But those are the types of things that I'm looking for. And, you know, speaking specifically here about the East, couple of things, a uh, big start tonight for Chris sale. You know, I, I know, you know, this, you're a Red Sox guy. He looked really bad in that start against the Mariners. And, and obviously again, you don't want to overreact to one start. But when you see a velocity decrease with a guy that, you know, was kind of banged up in the playoffs last year, kind of banged up in the second half last year and see just how flat that slider looked, that's a little bit worrisome to me. I'd like to see a little bit more explosiveness from the stuff today. That's not to say I'm fading him today. And I know a lot of the market is going in against Chris Sale here against Oakland tonight. But that's one of those things where, you know, I want to see a change. I want to see even if it's a half a mile per hour harder on the fastball velocity, something like that a few more swings and misses, just see things trending in the positive direction with Tampa Bay. I mean, look, Blake Snell didn't pitch well in the first game. Blake Snell, a big time regression candidate, 88% left on base percentage last year during the Cy Young season. A lot of people looking to go against him. That's the only game that they've lost. And their opener concept worked well again yesterday with Ryan Stanek and Ryan Yarbrough. They're hitting the ball ridiculously hard offensively. And this is a team that's got a really good bullpen. It has a strong defensive team as well. So to see them come out and basically pick up right where they left off last year, 
makes me think that there is a little bit more sustainability to this than I originally thought going into the season. So you don't want to make any concrete judgments or anything like that. But if I see either A, a continuation of what happened last year, or B, something that looks like a positive development, I am likely to follow those and keep a close eye on them. Completely agree. And I want to point this out to get your take on this. Uh, Walker Bueller, I know we're going to talk about the Dodgers in the other division, but Walker Bueller did not pitch in the in-spring training virtually at all. I believe three innings came out, got shelled in three innings. Chris Sale pitched four innings in spring training, came out and got shelled. Do you put stock into uh, that theory that I've kind of developed that, you know, when you look at, again, not to not to go over to, to the NL West, but you look at a kid like Urias who, you know, pitched every single five days in spring training, came out, had a perfect game or through four, his, his last spring training start when he learned he was going to be replacing Kershaw. Um, spring training form carrying into the regular season, a lot of people completely disregard it. Um, do you, you know, look to put stock in that and project it forward for at least the first couple starts? I, there are certain statistics in spring training that do matter. And, and a lot of them are ones that stabilize very quickly. Strikeout percentage and walk percentage do stabilize very, very quickly. So if a guy had a strikeout increase in spring training, that's something I'll pay close attention to. It's a guy that had a walk increase. That's something I'll pay attention to as well. But you brought up an excellent point there. And, and this was something that, you know, Mike fires. He did not pitch well over in Tokyo, but he was a guy who worked, I think, six and a third in spring training. And uh, then he comes back, pitches really well, six shutout innings against Anaheim in his second start. I think that matters. You know, I think that the numbers don't matter in a lot of ways for spring training, but getting into that rhythm, getting into that repetition, that is something that matters. So that was something I actually didn't realize about sales. So I'm glad that you brought that up because, like I said, I don't pay too much attention to spring training numbers, but. Again, if a guy's got a high ERA, it's a small sample size. If you're in Arizona, the ball carries a ton. I don't care. But I want to see a guy going out there regularly, making his regular turn, getting, you know, 20 innings, 15, 20 innings in spring training. That's important to me because that first start, he could be riding the struggle bus a little bit. And hey, look at today. You've got Marco Gonzalez already making his third start of the regular season. Trevor Cahill made one. It wasn't very good. You've also got, you know, Mike Fires making his third start against Sale, who didn't pitch in the spring, wasn't very good in that first start. I think that is something over the first week or two that, uh, you know, is an angle I will pay more attention to next year. Let's move over to the central because when you talk about things changing, uh, I think that this division is uh, ripe with it. Um, you know, Minnesota is a team I'm very bullish on. Went over their season win total. I think they have a emerging ace in Jose Barrios. We have Cleveland who looks to be a uh, first five under betters dream right now because I think they have the best one through five pitching in baseball. They haven't even used Shane Bieber in a starting role yet who could be this year's version of Walker Bueller in my estimation. You go down to Chicago, things changing. I mean, Lucas Giolito was a 1A prospect, meaning he was the best pitching prospect in baseball, came over with the Adam Eaton deal. Uh, all the, I mean, he was a laughable cash cow first five uh, inning fade last year. All of a sudden comes out, and again, a lot of sabermetric guys like yourself pointed to this positive regression coming from Giolito. It took him the offseason. He went the Joe Kelly route. He completely you know, reinvented himself. Um, when we look down this this list of, of Royals, Twins, Indians, Tigers, White Sox, I'm really not concerned with the standings everything right now, but um, things changing. I think this is a great jumping off point to illustrate your points. Yeah, you know, you look at the Minnesota Twins, and... I don't think I, uh, even I gave them enough credit in the lead up to the season. And, and I sung their praises. I love what they're doing. They've got, as many teams do, a former Indians executive in the GM's chair and Derek Falvey. You know, they go with Wes Johnson, who is called the czar of, vel of velocity as a college pitching coach. No pro baseball experience as a pitching coach, but comes from the University of Arkansas, becomes the pitching coach here in Minnesota. 35-year-old skipper and Rocco Baldelli. I love what they're doing because they are committed 
all in to analytics. And to go over to the NL Central for a second, Milwaukee did this a few years ago. We're seeing what happened with them. They took their starting rotation and said, you know what? We don't miss a whole lot of bats. We don't have a whole lot of guys that are going to go out there and dominate. Let's come up with something that can allow them to have success for five or six innings. So what they did was that they put together very comprehensive pitching plans, said, here's where we want you to work these guys. Pretty much everybody in that Milwaukee uh, staff throws either a cutter or a slider. Well, you'll get Minnesota here. They're increasing velocity. They're using more breaking balls. They're kind of following the Yankees mold in that regard. They're all in on analytics. And when you get a team that goes all in with analytics, you see the pitching gains first because you can put together those pitching plans. It's much harder to be a hitter than it is to be a pitcher. So now they've got the lineup that can collaborate with that pitching staff. I absolutely love what they're doing for the Indians. I mean, look, you know, again, best rotation in baseball bullpen's a little shaky lineup will get better as guys get healthier. And as some of their young guys start to settle in a little bit, but even through just three or four games, I'm a lot more scared for the Indians than I was coming into the season, just because I'm seeing what Minnesota wanted to put into practice, come out there on the field. And so far it's been a really good look. When you look at, uh, let's go to the, to the West, because this division uh, kind of drives me mental. Seattle should not be 6-1. and one. They are not this good. They were open. They traded their way their roster, openly tanking, and maybe I'm a bitter guy knowing my under ticket's probably already dead. Uh, Kachiki comes over. He, that is basically the Miles Mikolas um, of this year, in my estimation, of somebody who's going to come from nowhere in surprise because he wasn't highly touted in the way uh, uh, a Tanaka or a Matsuzaka or these guys in the past, um, you know, the the aces in that league um when they come over and don't have to be an ace here are, are usually set up in great spots uh but i don't i can't figure out seattle's power and seattle's uh what they're doing over there you look at oakland four and three is as always you know turning the they've basically turned money ball into the long ball here with chris davis and, and what they've been able to do by just hitting 100 home runs um but the starting pitching is going to be the problem to go with their top two bullpen the Rangers have, you know, probably the worst rotation in baseball. This division is going to belong to Houston eventually once they get their bats to wake up. Uh, and the Angels wasting my trout at one and four. Is there anything kind of long term you see here of either keeping up or regression coming for any side here? I, I feel so bad for Mike Trout. I mean, I know that he voluntarily stayed and, and he got a lot of money to do it. But man, year in and year out, the Angels, you know, they've got some money tied up and some things that they shouldn't, obviously, with pool holes. And, you know, with their rotation, I mean, just so many injury risks. With Andrew Heaney already out. I'm sure Tyler Skaggs gets hurt here at some point. I'm rooting against it because he's very, very talented when he's out there. But I'm sure he'll get hurt here at some point. Texas and, and the Angels look like the, the punching bags here to me. I mean, Texas got lucky to play Chicago here in the first week because the Cubs are a train wreck. Um, You know, for Seattle, I'm not all that surprised with the offense, truthfully. I, I thought that it, you know, they got some guys that have decent track records as veteran hitters, and they got some guys that you know, have either bounced around or just haven't really found a fit. Domingo Santana, you know, if if Milwaukee doesn't go and get Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich, Domingo Santana's playing every day for them. And that's a guy who hit 30 home runs a couple of years ago. I like Malik Smith as a top, as a you know uh, early in the order guy. Mitch Hanniger's a very good hitter. I'm not surprised with the offense too much. They will slack off a little bit. The rotation is not great, though. So Seattle will be an over team game in and game out. I love Oakland. I played Oakland season win total over. It was my favorite uh, season win total bet in the AL. I, you know, I think their rotation is good enough to get by. I think that they're creative enough to get by with the rotation. The bullpen even been a little bit shaky, but is still very, very strong. The offense, once it gets fully healthy, very good as well. Uh, Houston, I mean, you know, Houston's interesting to me because Minute Maid Park has not played all that well offensively the last few years. They've kind of lived off of their pitching staff 
Now, with the rotation being so top-heavy with Cole and Verlander, what is Colin McHugh? You know, what is Wade Miley? What is Brad Peacock? Can those guys sustain you know, 150 innings in the rotation? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but you know, again, offensively, they're a very, very stacked team. The bullpen's solid. I think the West race could be a little bit more interesting than people think between Oakland and Houston, but I agree with you that ultimately Houston does take care of business. Yeah, and Houston's one of those teams that I, I kind of really did project this slow start because they're a team that's going to get better as they go. Forrest Whitley is a top five pitching prospect in baseball. They have another one in the bullpen right now in Josh James. So look, Houston to me is a team that this window for them is closing a lot quicker than they realize because they have to pay everyone. Correa, um, I know Bregman just got paid, Altuve, Garrett Cole. You go, and again, I, to me, Houston and the Dodgers made the two best offseason signing moves, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, aside when they got when the Dodgers got Michael Brantley, who was a top five outfielder, and the same year that he was a top five outfielder in baseball, AJ Pollock was as well. Both guys have, you know, been out with injuries for so long, but it just go and I know that a large portion of what brought Houston's success is now in the Orioles organization, which is another reason I feel that this window is closing. But if you lose Cole, Verlander's up there at 36-37, um, and you gotta pay all these guys that don't want to take team friendly deals like Brett. Uh, I think this window could close a little bit uh, quicker than people realize for Houston Astros. I think so too. And, and it's really interesting for them because as you mentioned, and, and look, I mean, their system has been very healthy. They've had a lot of guys come up through the pipeline, you know, McCullers, uh, James, you go, you'll have Whitley here coming as well. A lot of their position player guys also. So you sort of wonder for them, can they keep this very extreme rate of success on all these guys that are coming up all at the same time? Because, you know, Houston's another one of those teams, kind of like how Kansas City put together their back-to-back -to -back World Series runs. They were so bad for so long that they were able to draft these really high upside, high floor kinds of players. Now that those guys are sort of graduating into the financial system of Major League Baseball, does Houston still have that luxury picking at the bottom of the first round or, you know, losing some of the very smart people that they've lost to other organizations? The West is in a really interesting state of flux because after Houston falls off, and I do think they will fall off a little bit, you know, as you mentioned over the next couple of years, who is it? You know, Seattle's minor league system's not great. Texas hasn't had one for the last few years. Anaheim doesn't have much to work with. Is it Oakland? Where Oakland has Lazardo, Puck, uh, Holmes, Caprellian, you know, their rotation is going to get a lot better here in the near future as well. So the West is intriguing, not just this year, but going forward also. Definitely agree. Let's move over to the National League here. Uh, Philadelphia, I mean, the, I Nadia, I was kind of down on the Bryce Harper signing. He has proved me wrong. The Mets, the Mets to me made the, had the best offseason since the year, the first year of Houston's new regime when they made a very conscious decision to do implement a very simple model. Their lineup was retooled by on-base guy, on-base guy, on-base guy, power, on-base guy, on-base guy, power, on-base guy, power. And I, they have a rookie there with the Mets and Peter Alonzo, who's maybe Joey Gallo, only better. Um, I think he has the potential to hit 30 home runs as a rookie. He's that good. You look down at Miami at two and three. The Nationals are a team I fell in love with this offseason. Um, I think they're better with without Bryce Harper. I think Juan Soto is going to be a perennial MVP candidate, along with the Braves and Okuna, who just signed a huge team-friendly deal today as well. 
When we look at this division, I would say top to bottom, uh, probably the best in baseball if things break right eventually. I think a lot of people are in the belief that the Braves arrived about a year early. Um, but to me, I mean, the Mets, Phillies, and the Nationals. I mean, the ceiling for the Mets is World Series. The ceiling for the Philadelphia Phillies is World Series. The ceiling for the Nationals in a three-game series going through the playoffs facing Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin is World Series. I don't care what anybody says, the fact that they're young. The Nationals have four, three or four MVP candidates and the odds-on favorite to win Rookie of the Year when the season started. Um, and the Braves showed what they could do last year. Um, this division is the hardest for me to call. I think a lot of guys are, or a lot of teams are going to eat up on each other. Um, but what did you take away from this one and for kind of what we've seen in projecting forward? I think as, as much as this may disappoint some people, I think this is a three-team race because I think Atlanta falls off the pace a little bit here. They've got a lot of solid pitching arms, young guys and guys in the minor league system, but they don't really have any frontline types of guys, which is what Philadelphia, the Mets, and Washington all have. I think Atlanta has to live on its offense, and that's a little bit tricky to do at SunTrust Park and also here in this division. And you know, last year they beat up on the Marlins and the Phillies to sort of make their offensive numbers look a little bit better. I don't know if that happens necessarily here this year because while I bet the Marlins season win total under, their pitching staff really impressed me the first time through the rotation. Obviously, they're at home, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but you know, the Marlins are going to be kind of a, a little bit of a pesky team as well. As far as the top, I mean, look, for Philadelphia, Nick Pavetta, one of those sabermetric darlings, high ERA, low XFIP. If the command comes around, the stuff is really, really good. Uh, Vince Velasquez, if he stays healthy, same thing with him. Aaron Nola is obviously an elite guy. Love the David Robertson signing. Bullpen is strong. The Mets, look, there's one thing I know about Mickey Calloway, and I got to watch him as the pitching coach for the Indians for several years. I don't know what he does in terms of, of marginal to average talent to elevate it, but I do know that he can take elite level talent, very superior talent, and maximize it to the extreme. He did it with the Grom last year. I think this he did it with Zach Wheeler last year. I think he probably does it this year to a degree with Steven Matz. Not that Steven Matz is elite, but he will be better. I think he and does with it Noah with Wheeler to a Cy Young, top three, top five Cy Young for Wheeler. That's my yeah, I mean, wait, wait, I mean, look at what Zach Wheeler did last year. He had with a better healthy second five. half ERA than Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So the Mets pitching for days. I love Seth Lugo in the bullpen. Huge fan of him. Edwin Diaz, a big help. Washington was my pick to win the East here coming into this season. Uh, the bullpen's a little bit iffy right now. Trevor Rosenthal hasn't looked very good, but hey, like you said, you know, if you run into the Nationals in the playoffs and you get Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, I mean, that's that's not any fun. So love this division top to bottom. The the Marlins seem more interesting than I originally thought. Maybe it's just because it's early on in the year. But I do think that the Braves are a notch below those other three top teams. Completely agree from a pitching perspective. Let's move over to the central Milwaukee. I think a lot of people thought they would regress, especially when it comes to Christian Yelich. All he does is do is hit home runs. The Cardinals were the team I was probably the biggest on in the national league. Um, just with that rotation, adding, you know, Goldschmidt for MVP is, um, you know, I mean, again, we'll talk about futures odds being um, slash Goldschmidt enters the year 10 to one to already down to five to one. He's not the face of the franchise. Now he gets to play calm. He gets to play cool uh, and doesn't have to worry about anything other than going out there and hitting, which is a very dangerous thing. You sandwich him with a guy like Paul Duong who can hit 30 home runs from a shortstop position. Um, and the Cardinals could be very dangerous once they get things kind of figured out. They were a little bit unlucky giving up, you know, leads within the first five. The Flaherty one comes to mind. Miles Mikolas got kind of shelled. 
The Reds, I think, are uh, on the way up, especially with their pitching prospect. Luis Castillo is dynamite. The Pittsburgh Pirates have probably the best pitching in the division, top to bottom, outside of the Cardinals, and they know how to maximize it more than the Cardinals. The Cubs were a team. A lot, a lot, a lot of people. You saw the famous baseball perspective had them finishing dead last with, I think, eight or six, 79 wins or something like that. We're seeing that from the Cubs here. The central one is going to be a wild one yet again. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, uh, I mean, look, the, the Brewers, again, this is one of the reasons why I'm not as hardline sabermetrician as some of the people out there, because I understand what they're doing. And, and a lot of people look at all of their starters and say, well, their ERAs are below their X trips. They're going to regress. But they just don't allow home runs because they pitch away from high slugging percentage areas. They've got guys with good enough command that they're able to do that. And that's why they've been sustainable. And quite frankly, one of the many reasons why I've been cheating on the Indians with the Brewers over the last few years here. Um, the, the one team in this division that, that kind of concerns me thus far is Pittsburgh. And part of it is because I did play their season win total over, took a long shot on them to win the division. Uh, I believe it was uh, eight to one. And then also took a shot on them to win the national league pennant. They've lost two games already out of three where they've had a lead going into the seventh inning. Clint hurdles made some mistakes. Richard Rodriguez has been awful. Uh, Keone Kayla has not looked the same. They haven't been able to bridge the gap to Felipe Vasquez just yet. And that's Pittsburgh's best attribute is that bullpen. So like yeah, it's great. The bullpen to... is their strongest attribute over their starting pitching. I think so. Okay. I, I think that it's just for the simple fact that, you know, um, I do think that, that Joe Musgrove has some health questions. I don't know if Chris Archer will fully maximize his abilities, although, you know, looking at yesterday, he certainly uh, is going to give it a good shot here. Love tie on Trevor Williams. Again, another guy, low ERA, high exit market hates him. Guy. Love that guy. I love when the market hates him. Well, again, it's one yeah, of those things scoreless where streak of 27 straight scoreless innings last year and comes out and fires seven shutout week or start one this year as well. Whatever the reason is, he figures it out. He induces a lot of weak contact. He, he's just one of those guys. And that's that's a very important skill. I think a lot of times, you know, up until StatCast and up until we had exit velocity, people just looked at BABIP, batting average on balls in play, as luck. I think there's more of a controlling factor for pitchers than we ever thought possible because of exit velocity. And having those numbers has opened our eyes to seeing that, look, guys can, it's a skill. Contact management is a skill. It's not just a luck metric of when a guy makes contact and you know where he hits the ball and how hard he hits it. It's a skill. And the Pirates have a guy like that in Trevor Williams. The Brewers have all kinds of guys like that. That's the one thing about Cincinnati that I'm not sure of is with that park factor, can they avoid barrels? Can they avoid the high slugging percentage areas? I'm not entirely sure. So I'm, I'm thinking that right now the Central is going to be you know almost a five-team race, quite frankly. I think all five of these teams can elevate themselves enough to be in this thing deep into August and September. Uh, obviously, we'll see who's able to sustain the grind the most. Completely, man. Let's move over to the NL West before we get you out of here. Dodgers and everyone else, in my estimation, yet here come the young Padres who remind me a lot of the Braves of last year. The pitching, I mean, I think a lot of this comes from within their division with the Giants just making everyone look uh, like... Cy Young candidates, I think that they're, the Padres are very overvalued day-to-day. -day. We saw this yesterday. They, this young team should not be a minus-180 favorite uh, to anybody other than the Giants, in my, in my estimation. The Arizona Diamondbacks are something entering year one of a rebuild that they kind of won't technically all the way kind of commit to. 
um, which is a little bit frustrating. Um, the Rockies are, are always going to be there with this rotation that they have finally realized how to get guys to pitch at cores and, you know, to get the specific, again, human element type of guy that that takes two Cy Young candidates, a guy that a lot of people think could be the third one in John Gray just struggles at cores still. And it does take a lot to overcome that when you, when those issues arise and it's shown, um, I mean, again, to me, the Rockies and the Dodgers probably are the Dodgers one Rockies probably finished two. I don't know. I think the Padres can maybe sneak into a wild card, but the NOS could quietly have three playoff teams if everything breaks right for a full season for the Padres, but they are incredibly overpriced right now. One of the things I liked about the Brewers is that they went with high upside starting pitching. You know, they've got Ulysses Chassin, but they went with Brandon Woodruff. They went with Freddie Peralta. They went with Corbin Burns, you know, taking out guys like Junior Guerra, guys like Chase Anderson. Uh, we'll see how long Zach Davies stays in the rotation. That was my concern about the San Diego Padres was if they if they're running out Brian Mitchell and Robbie Erlin and, you know, Clayton Richard types, then they're going to have to out hit everybody. But going with Chris Paddock, going with Matt Strom, uh, Joey Lucchese is obviously off to a nice start to his major league career. Eric Lauer was a strikeout per inning guy in the second half last year. The fact that the Padres went higher upside with the rotation, you know, even Margavicious, who comes up from double A had very little experience in double A. The high upside thing is really impressive to me. You can get these journeymen that, you know, can get out some of the time at the major league baseball level, or you can go balls to the wall and get the most talented guys you have in the rotation that right there completely changed my outlook on the Padres. I would have taken them under before the season. I did lean that way. I thought it was a pretty high number at this point in time. If they win 83, 84 games, I'm not the least bit surprised simply because they went talent forward. The bullpen is good. They've got a bunch of high variance guys in the batting order outside of, you know, Machado, Kinsler, uh, the Will Myers, the proven guys. But I love that they went high upside with the rotation. And that's what a lot of teams in their position should do. If you're on the cusp, get the most talented 25 guys on that roster. And too many teams don't do that. They're worried about service time or, you know, worried about the guy getting, uh, you know, outs at AAA or whatever else. F that, man. Get the guys that have the most talent. I love that the Padres did that. I give them a ton of credit for that. Um, and you know, I don't think that they make this uh, make this division race all that interesting with the Dodgers, but I do think that it's a good thing for them going forward. I want to get your take philosophically before we get you out of here on one thing, like you said that, because I think the other counter argument to that is you can kill a kid's success. You can kill a kid's uh, confidence. We saw this with Giolito coming up very early. Their cautionary tale will all be Philip. Will always be Philip Hughes in a Yankees uniform at 20 years old, pitching at Yankee Stadium. Got killed uh, and never realized his potential. And Philip Hughes, I know he you know has had a long and, and lucrative career around the league, but he was supposed to be uh, Roger Clemens reincarnated when he came in. And so. Um, for every guy that, you know, every prospect that comes up and makes it like a Walker Bueller, there's a hundred others that don't do you, you know, do you, if Paddock had got killed, lost confidence, and you can say that for any, you know, kind of guy that's coming up early, um, do you put stock into that, you know, that side of things, or you just completely say, go balls out, put everyone in. I mean, I think it's one of those things where it's kind of organizationally dependent. I mean, to be a 20 year old kid like Phil Hughes and show up on the mound at Yankee stadium, that's daunting. You know, that is in that media market. You know, it's very, very difficult for the Padres because everything is overshadowed by Manny Machado, by, you know, some of the young hitters they have, Franchi Cordero, Fran Mil Reyes, stuff like that. I think it's the right test case for bringing these guys straight up from double A. We kind of saw Houston do it as well. Houston had tremendous success with that. It was a little bit more in the infancy of the run that they're in now, but it was one of those things where 
you know, hey, are, are people really going to pay attention to this? Are people really going to give this guy a hard time? You know, those guys had success, but the ones that didn't, you know, they still went down, took care of their affairs, figured out their way back to the big leagues. So I think in a spot like San Diego, you know, I think it's something that can work out pretty well, but obviously it's, it's kind of market dependent and also team dependent in the sense that for the Padres, you've already got all this excitement rolling. People don't necessarily think of you as a wild card contender. You think of yourself as one internally. So you know what? You go ahead and roll the dice there. You press that pass line bet. You see where it takes you. And obviously for the Padres, uh, so far, so good. Yeah. And again, going back to the human element of things, I mean, we saw this, right? Um, Last night, Drew Pomerantz got into a little bit of trouble, but you saw the flashes of what he was when he was in San Diego and, you know, was an all-star game starter. We saw this, we will see this consistently every single time that Sonny Gray is not in New York. Every time we've seen this with Boston with, you know, whether it be position players, Carl Crawford, Adrian Gonzalez, some guys and Yankees as well. We have seen it time and time again, the bright lights affect people differently, but it's, it's absolutely incredible when you look at it from that human aspect, um, as a whole man. And again, cannot thank you enough for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to come and talk baseball with me again, Adam Burke at skating tripods, host of bang the book radio batters box twice a week, doing so much incredible stuff in the space, man. I want to give you the floor. Anything else to plug anything else you have going on? Cause I know you're constantly hosting something. No, I mean, that, that's about it. I guess uh, we're going to talk with Kyle Hunter on Wednesday about the final four and about the national championship game on bang the book radio. And uh, I believe you and I are actually off this week for the UFC. So keep an eye out for that Thursdays or Fridays on bang the book radio, where uh, I sit in the host chair and <laughs> chat with Christian here about the UFC events for bang the book radio. Yep. We, we flipped the script, man. You don't have to do any legwork, any post-production. That's all on my side. So again, cannot thank you enough. And again, give him a follow. One of the best baseball minds in the world at skating tripods, Adam Burke of bang the book. Thanks again, man. Thanks, brother. Take care.